to Meet the Expert, the podcast series on swine health management in practice brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim. My name is Peter Best and it's my pleasure in this episode to be talking to Danish swine veterinary practitioner Dr. Christian Haun about the introduction of gilts into the sow herd. Hello Dr. Haun, thank you for joining me. Hi Peter. Thank you for letting me here. Now, you're the co-owner of the Porker Swine Veterinary Practice in Denmark. Does that involve you in advising swine enterprises of a range of sizes in different countries? Yes, it does. Uh, of course, right now, uh, there is a pandemic, uh, a global pandemic problem that, uh, that makes us uh, stay home. But uh, normally we travel quite a lot uh, and doing uh, advisory drops on, on pig, pig farms uh, globally. And are you asked repeatedly about guilt introduction protocols? Is this a hot topic of conversation each time you're talking to the operators of these farms? That's for sure. That's that's a real evergreen. Yes, it is. <laughs> what, what, why do they ask it? They're not satisfied with what they're doing already or, or what are they seeing that they think they need advice on? Well, I think it's because we um, the guilt introduction uh, procedures are I wouldn't call them complicated, but but we, we run different programs uh, on the farms and, and, and a lot of them are certainly not uh, of any veterinary uh, uh, character. Um, lots of it is also feeding and management and all that. So you can make uh, a lot of good work in quarantine stables, but you can also uh, mess the whole thing up, uh, not only from a veterinary perspective. So there are many, many good discussions that you can have with the farmers in, in uh, in according to uh, guild introduction. So, uh, I don't know uh, how good sows are, sow herds generally are at introducing their gilts, but how do you benchmark whether gilts have been introduced correctly? Uh, is this according to veterinary measurements, gilt health or herd health, or on some measure of herd performance? Yes, it, 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 uh, we evaluate that in many different ways. One of the one of them is, of course, if we if we have a good clinical situation in the sow herd or in the offspring, the, the piglets or the or the weaners, and if we have an unstable cl uh, clinical situation, uh, we obviously go back and evaluate, uh, for instance, the vaccination uh, protocol in in the gill quarantines. But it can also be uh, feedstuff related problems like. Uh, 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 lack of number of live bone piglets per liter uh, on, let's say, the first liter sows. Uh, it also uh, goes back to how we feed the gilt. Uh, so there are many things that we can look into in the sow herd and then go back to the gilt quarantines and correct something to, to achieve better results. But from a veterinary perspective first, then, Dr. Arn, I mean, what is it that we're trying to achieve? Could you just state the basic target again for us? <clears throat> what, what do we want to achieve from a veterinary point of view? Uh, first of all, many of our sow farms, they buy in the gills from, from multiplier farms. So having uh, the gills in a quarantine for a certain amount of time is uh, first of all to see if if some disease develops uh, among the gills before they are introduced to the sow farm. 
that is obviously lowering the risk of introducing new pathogens to the sow herd. That is one argument. The other one is that if we use uh, uh, live vaccines like, like PERS virus, uh, MLV vaccinations, which we does quite a lot, uh, we need the animals to, to seize the, the, the spread of virus uh, in good time before the, the gills are introduced to the sow herd. So they're not shedding, uh, we also, not shedding by the time they, they reach what the point of breeding, would you say? Is that what you, you know, you don't want them shedding by the time they, they come for first insemination or breeding? Uh, they should have stopped shedding the virus even before entering the sow herd. That is that is crucial. Um, and on top of that, uh, we also use uh, uh, obviously uh, a lot of killed vaccines, and we also need the animal. We need to have time for the animals to build up a, a, a proper immunity against the pathogens that we know that that the young sows or gills are, are introduced to. Uh, before introduction, so that that they are sort of resistant to the pathogens that they that they are going to meet eventually when they enter the sow herd. Mm. So we have many tasks uh, in in the quarantine rooms that we need to achieve. Yeah, how often would you say sow herd operators need to re-examine their guilt introduction process and possibly revise it? Should they be doing this all the time, or once a year, or you know, how often? It, it depends. I have farms where we renew it or evaluate it on a regular basis, two, three times per year, because we need to do changes. It might be that uh, the disease profile in the sow herd changes, and, and thereby we need to renew the vaccination program in the gill quarantines. But on the other hand, I also have sow farms where we are happy with the program that is running, and we can run the same program for five or even ten years uh, in a row without changing anything. So it depends on the situation from farm to farm. Yes, yeah. Can we talk uh, about the details of introduction, the context, please, of European or Danish herds? Uh, and could you give me an idea of the sort of sow numbers in a herd of that size and their replacement rate, uh, if, if you would? Let's take a particular example then of a Danish herd of a typical size, how many sows would it have in its uh, breeding population and how, uh, what would its replacement rate be? Let's take a typical example of 1,000 uh, sows, <clears throat> which is a fairly normal uh, sow herd size. They range from everything from 200 sows up to maybe 4,000 sure, sows, sure. but 1,000 sows is, is pretty normal. Um, a typical replacement rate uh, in Denmark would be 45 up to 50 percent. So that means that uh, we need to um, introduce uh, like 500 replacement gills uh, per year if, if, if uh, we have 1,000 sows, uh, which again means that we have to intimidate roughly 10 gills per week uh, per 1,000 sows. Uh, would you uh, bring in those gilts? Um weekly or how would they arrive please um we try uh, to run all gills through quarantine stables on every sow farm and that doesn't really matter if if these gills are produced on site by the farmer himself or it is gills that i introduced from from a multiplier farm uh, 
Um, we try to plan a certain amount of quarantine time, which is, I would say, minimum eight weeks. And if we use MLV uh, post virus vaccines, we prefer <clears throat> around 12 weeks of quarantine. So the capacity uh, needed for the quarantine stable also defines what, what are the age groups that are in the quarantine. Uh, so if we take a, an example again, if we want to inseminate the gills at, let's say, 35 weeks of age, so we want to introduce them to the sow herd at 34 weeks of age, uh, but we also want, let's say, 12 weeks of quarantine. Uh, the oldest one, uh, when we buy them in, would be 22 uh, weeks of age, and, and the youngest one would be 12 weeks younger, which is uh, 10 weeks. You... And then we fill up the quarantine stable and leave them there for 12 weeks and then they're ready to, to the introduction. Why would you have quarantine equally, whether it's the farmer's own production <clears throat> or brought in from another source? Because in any case, we need to run a vaccination program. We uh, need to have the animals uh, to cease any spread of disease before introduction. We need to build up uh, immunity in the animals due to the vaccination program in any case. So to me, it really doesn't matter if these uh, gills are produced by the farmer himself or, or they are bought, bought in from a multiplier farm. We run the same sort of circus in any case. Yeah, and in a typical Danish situation, how would the health of the gills compare with that of the heard i mean are we talking normally about bringing in naive or pathogen free gilts uh, into a herd that has uh, well positive such as for pers virus um i i would say um if the the animals are bought in pers virus negative we obviously vaccinate them if we uh, are to, to introduce them to a, a post virus positive sow herd. But if the, the gills, they come from a, a purse positive farm, we still keep vaccinating them. Because basically when you put, uh, let's say 100 animals into a quarantine stable, uh, 100 gills, you have no idea if 80% of them are uh, antibody positive or 100% of them or only 10%. And that's a really uh, a big chance to take. So we run the vaccination program anyway. Uh, nevertheless, the, the herd health status of the deliver farm. Now, the vaccination program in general, is this uh, a, a standard vaccination program that you're following in different weeks of the quarantine period that the gilts are there then? I would say I I have probably uh, some of the vaccines are to me they are standard, uh, but I also have a, a customized program going on, and even though that I run programs in let's say 100 uh, quarantine stables, I don't think I have two uh, programs that are the same. So these programs are designed uh, for every sow farm. Um, uh, according to the health status and problems that we know are, are likely to show up or whatever. And would these vaccines be administered in different stages of the animal's occupation of the quarantine uh, uh, barn? Yeah. Yes, uh, for sure. Um, 
Certainly, the, uh, if we use MLV PERS virus vaccines, those are uh, the first vaccines we use when, as soon as the guilds, they enter the quarantine room. And that is, uh, of course, because we need a certain amount of time before we can be fairly sure that the virus shedding from these guilds uh, has ceased to a low or non-existent level. But that's the live vaccine. Then other of the vaccines, let's take uh, parvovirus vaccines, for instance, uh, we want a high uh, antibody level uh, at the time of first service, which means that we use, uh, typically we use the parvovirus vaccines quite late in the quarantine stable. So it depends very much if you want a high uh, immune response late in the quarantine or if we want it quite early. It depends on the disease we're talking about. Does natural exposure have any place at all in your view? instead of you know, immune management by vaccination? Uh, not really. Um, and I think this might be one of the things that we should look into uh, in the future because it keeps popping up in my mind that, that uh, we are, uh, we are uh, putting a lot of trust into commercial vaccines and most of them are covering the problems. But I think one of the problems with, let's say, um, piglet diarrhea, for instance, and we can clearly see that the amount of piglet diarrhea is, is a lot higher in, in the gilt litters than in, in sow litters. And that tells, to me, it tells the whole story that, that uh, the uh, uh, antibody composition, the antibody quality, the antibody amount in the sow, or excuse me, the, uh, the gilt colostrum is not adequate uh, to what is going on uh, in the sow herd. And it doesn't really surprise me because we, we bring in new animals from a, a high health uh, breeding farm that we put them into an empty, washed and disinfected uh, gilt quarantine then we, of course, use commercial vaccines. Then we introduce the gilts to the sow herd. We place them in boxes, uh, isolated from all pathogens, isolated from the sows. And we even, after uh, service, uh, in many cases, we bring them into gestation stables uh, in boxes or pens, loose housing systems, where they only meet other gilts. And then we ask the, the guild to produce an adequate amount of antibodies in the colostrum when they eventually enter this, the, the faring rooms. And that's, I mean, she has never ever met uh, an adequate amount of pathogens on the sow farm. So how can we ask her to make uh, a colostrum of high quality to protect her piglets? But if, and, if I got uh, persistent diarrhea in guilt litters, uh, what could I be doing from a natural uh, exposure point of view that I could be sure of managing properly? Uh, one thing that it works out extremely well uh, is that uh, if we bring back, back manure uh, from these diarrhea piglets in, in the farrowing room, uh, we have procedures for that and bring that back to the, to the, to the high pregnant gills in gestation. Uh, we can see a, immediately uh, a change in, in the level of diarrhea in the gilt litters later on. Uh, and that is because we run a, like an, a natural exposure. But that comes later. Uh, that comes after gilt quarantine. Uh, 
that comes when they are pregnant, the cells are pregnant. So it's before breeding so, and after breeding, isn't it, really, yes. Yeah. Y- yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, in your case, by the way, the, the gilts are going to be coming in to, let's say, a 12-weeks quarantine. What would they be for age and weight when they enter? Uh, that depends if you ask what I want or if uh, if you ask what we do <laughs> or what <laughs> yes, we see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that, that in many cases, that's two different things. But if, if you ask for what, what my aim is, what I, what my goal is, it's, it's around 140 uh, kilos at the time of first service. They should be bred in second or third heat, never in the first heat. And, and one thing which is which is extremely important when we are talking about live-born piglets, number of live-born piglets per litter, is the, the back fat uh, thickness uh, of the animals at the time of their first service. Uh, that means a lot. And it also means a lot on the sow durability. Uh, how old can the sow be and how long can we keep the sow in high production, uh, in a high production level in the sow herd instead of calling her or, 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 or even slaughter her. Let me pause for a moment to remind everyone that more information on this conversation, like articles, publications, and videos, can be found on the website purs.com. Let's take some of those points, if we may, just quickly. Durability, that's a, a you know, related in some people's eyes to the age of the gilt at breeding uh, you know that there is an argument that's been around for a long time that the older the gilt at breeding then the less likely is that gilt as a mature female to stay more than three parities in the herd do you think that's still true do you think we need to be watching how, when how old these gilts are when we breed them yeah, I totally agree, uh, because uh, the, the bigger the gills are at the time of first service, uh, the heavier uh, the sow is. And we have to remember that we keep these sows on concrete floors, and it, there is a dig, big difference uh, whether the sow is 250 kilo or she's 300 kilo on, on the durability. And that, that goes all the way back to the time of first service. Uh, of course, also including the quality of the feeding on gestation sows, the protein level in the feedstuff, and so on. But it, it, there is a big difference on, on inseminating uh, gills at 130, 140 kilo, or if they are bred the first time at 160, 180 kilo. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So they're coming in young, and you're, you're keeping them, if you're doing PERS with MLV, you're doing 12 weeks of quarantine before they are de-stress and, and ready for breeding that 12 weeks uh, I mean could you just uh, block that off for me they do the 12 weeks of quarantine and then they are stimulated for puberty somewhere else than in the quarantine quarters um, if possible I prefer to have a few balls uh, present in the quarantine room because they need light they need as you say stimulation uh, to to uh, to to get into puberty we need to socialize the animals which means to to move them around and mix the groups in uh, and all these things can be be done in the quarantine stable uh, for sure 
But if we run, and that's the, the system that I like the most, uh, if we run these quarantines as all-in, all-out units, it also means that we empty, when we empty the quarantine stable, we, we might move 100 or 120 animals at the time uh, if it is a 1,000 sow head uh, unit. Uh, so only the 10 oldest of them are ready to be bred the first time. The next 10 uh, needs another week and so on. So there will be time in the uh, sow herd where we have to store some of the young animals and keep uh, stimulating them and keep uh, uh, vaccinating for some of the vaccines and so on in within the sow herd. Yeah. So you, you're doing this stimulation you, with the boars in there, but you would certainly not uh, like the practice several of us have done of bringing cold sows into the quarantine quarters as a further uh, natural exposure uh, at, at that time. You, you, you don't like doing that with the cold cold sows? Uh, um, we did that many years ago. Uh, the problem is that if you if you do that, uh, you you have to rely on that uh, particularly sow or sows that they are shedding any whatever uh, that you find useful, and sometimes you're lucky uh, you get a, a good stimulation of of immunity by doing so. But I mean, next month uh, by uh, you unfortunately uh, put in sows that are not shedding anything. So it, it, in my world, it's a very unreliable system when it comes to immunization. Uh, I, don't, I, I simply don't trust it because we, we don't know what we are doing. Um, and that's what the past has, has taught us. That's why we eventually ended up with this all-in, all-out 12-week quarantine uh, uh, system and relying solely on, on commercial vaccinations. But... I know that that our colleagues in U.S. is working are working quite a lot with with other ways to vaccinate with, so to speak, home produced uh, homogenets of of material from the from, for instance, uh, finisher pigs and so on. And I would like to look more into that in the future because I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't think uh, the commercial vaccines can can do this job uh, alone. We are working with hundreds and hundreds of different pathogens in the sow herd. But we are only vaccinated with, uh, I don't know, six, eight, ten different pathogens in the quarantine. Now, when we, when are we ready to release on a on an all in all out basis? Release from quarantine. You're testing these animals. Is it test and release from a quarantine? Is that what you would advise all the time? Uh, 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 no, as a, as a routine, we, we, we trust the system. Uh, we know that it works in 99% in of the cases, but uh, we might have a flu issue, for instance, that we can see that the sows are uh, suffering or the piglets are suffering from flu problems, and that might, us, um, might make us uh, evaluate the flu program by sampling uh, nosal swab, swabs from the from the from the guilds at the time of introduction, just to evaluate if the program uh, is uh, adequate. Uh, so we do it, but it is uh, only when we have clinical problems that 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 make us do so. 
Uh, normally, it runs quite well yeah. um, without testing. Before we continue, Doctor, can I just say to our friends listening and watching us, uh, we're having a Meet the Expert interview with Dr. Christian Hahn in Denmark. We're talking about ideas on introducing replacement gilts to the sow herd. We hope you find the information helpful and we welcome feedback on all episodes of Meet the Expert. Uh, Dr. Hahn, you, you quite rightly said that we've got to break the guilt introduction into veterinary and, and other, which is feeding, housing and so on. Now, let me a little bit say there's a bridge there with foot health, uh, because what do we have as a pen for quarantine, which is correct for the feet of the gilts? I um, I prefer quite a lot of solid floor and and uh, only a little area with slatted floors uh, to protect the the feet of of, of the uh, young animals, but also to shape them. They need solid floor to shape uh, the hooves or the feet. Um, so solid concrete. When you say solid concrete, forgive me for interrupting. Yes, as as much as possible. It gives us also other challenges regarding keeping the areas dry and clean because the more concrete, solid concrete floor we have, obviously the bigger the problems are with with the animals urinating or defecating on on the solid floors, especially in the summertime. Does that, and does one that, way yes, to over yes, sorry you uh, keep going uh, you anticipated my question yeah. but I, but I but I think it's needed uh, a good uh, gill quarantine has a lot of of, uh, of solid concrete concrete floor in my world uh, and one one way to handle uh, the uh, large area of, of solid uh, floors are using floor feeding um, first of all we can feed them restrictedly uh, by doing so, but they also tend to keep the feeding areas uh, more clean because they know they're going to be fed there uh, a few hours later. So they tend to use the slatter floors more to, to defecate and urinate. So this is, uh, in my world, the best combination of solid floor and, and floor feeding. So uh, and are these group pens or a large group pens or what would they be in your view? How much space? would they allow per gilt for floor area? Um, uh, quite a lot of space, actually. Uh, we go beyond uh, the Danish legislation. Uh, we advise farmers to have uh, approximately 1.5 square meters per animal, and, and more is even better, let's say two square meters. Um, that, in that way, they grow more uh, uniformly and they fight less if they get extra space and body condition is much more easy to control if they have uh, quite a lot of space but the size of the group is not that important to me in some farms if we need 10 gills per week we have boxes with uh, 10 gills per box uh, if possible because then it's really really easy to overcome and evaluate the vaccination programs because it's a vaccination per box because that's an age group. But it also goes quite okay uh, if, if we have larger groups of 20 or 30 animals or even more per box. So I think it's not so much the number of pigs per box or gilts, it's uh, more how much space uh, does every individual have, which is important. Yeah. 
And uh, tell me about ventilation in this barn. If you're going to have large group pens, uh, you know, do you have uh, a particular sort of ventilation? You mentioned the need for light for a stimulus point of view. Uh, you know, are you talking about mechanically ventilated barns in Denmark or for gilts, or are they open sided, or what are they? No, they are mechanically uh, ventilated, all of them. We don't have many bars, uh, barns in Denmark with natural ventilation. We have a, f a few finisher farms, but that's all. Most of our farms are mechanically ventilated. But uh, plenty of light in your in your quarantine quarters. That's that's for sure. That's uh, one of the givens there. And uh, the, you talked about floor feeding, so let's talk about feeding, please, because growth rate that you want to achieve in the in the uh, quarantine period. Now, uh, do you want it to grow fast or slow? In my point of view, um, we have to do both. <laughs> that that's a silly a silly no, answer. No, but I I always uh, divide the feeding of the gills into two different periods. Uh, so if we are talking about the group from let's say around thirty kilo and up to around hundred kilo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want them to grow grow fairly slow. Uh, I have a personal target of, of uh, 750, maximum 800 uh, grams of every uh, every daily weight gain. Um, they have the potential to grow 1,000, even up to 1,200 grams per day. But if we let them, uh, the supportive tissue, the bones, the joints, the ligaments and all that, it doesn't have uh, enough time to develop uh, in the right way and then when when she's let's say 200 or 250 kilo as a sow then we have the leg problems uh, so uh, one way to avoid that is to make them grow fairly slowly up to 100 let's say 110 kilo but afterwards uh, it is extremely important when we are talking about um, uh, uh, efficacy efficiency with live bones per liter that they have an adequate uh, um, back fat uh, thickness. And if we keep feeding them on, let's say, 800 grams per day, they'll, they'll become skinny at the time of first service and they'll deliver a very low uh, number of piglets. Uh, so I changed my feeding strategy around 100 kilo, 110 kilo into something for the last four or five weeks that makes the makes the gilt grow very fast on the fat tissue on her back. So the, en the energy and protein you're talking about in very broadest terms, you to, to achieve your 750 um, grams, you you you're lower energy level than later. Yeah, and then we we change our strategy so we go as low in protein the last four or five weeks as possible and fairly high on energy and that energy can be oil it can be fat it can be uh, sugar it can be wheat all the same stuff that makes us uh, humans uh, fat uh, so that also works on gills <laughs> uh, but the idea is that we make a fairly uh, small gilt at the first time of service which again makes us uh, our sows smaller uh, higher durability, uh, lower feeding costs uh, throughout the sow life. But we also make her strong in her legs uh, because she grows uh, slowly from 30 to 100 kilo. And on top of that, 
she's fairly, let's call her fat, which make her release a lot of eggs at the time of first service and, and thereby providing a lot of live-born piglets. So, and all this is about feeding, having the right feeding strategy. But having a mechanical feeding system in your quarantine quarters, you, you know, to have two different diets up to 110 and afterwards uh, would be sometimes a little difficult. Could you achieve the same by supplementary or, or you know, top dressing the feed in some way? Or, or is that, in fact, what happens quite often? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Peter, because in many, many quarantine barns, we only have uh, one silo, which means that we can only run one feed mix. So and that, that's a great challenge. Uh, but in that, uh, in that case, we just use top dressings of whatever. I, in many of my south farms, we buy in candy, uh, human candy, uh, 1,000 or 500 kilos at the time. And then we feed the gills 200, 400, even up to 1,000 gram of candy per gilt per day for the last two or three weeks uh, prior uh, first service. Uh, and in that way, we can make them grow one up to two millimeters of back fat per week. So it's, it's quite easy to, to adjust the feeding in the right way, even though that you only have one silo and one feed, feed mix that you can Candy's not can good for the teeth, Doctor. I think you should go and ask the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, but, uh, but it's uh, it's only a, a short period of time. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I hope so too. Yeah, but do you think then, uh, you know, if you're going to be confining, uh, following this sort of feeding routine, are you going to be judging body condition that you mentioned all the way through? Are you doing that by eye, or are you measuring by lean meter? Or, and adjusting your feed accordingly. What what are you doing? We always use uh, lean meters, uh, and it is done in, in the farms that I consult uh, as a routine. Um, so in that in that way, we can adjust the feeding, as you say, but we can also see on the lean meters if we have to if something goes wrong. We find find out in that way right away, and we could change something. In the old days, before the lean meters, we found out four months later uh, because uh, we had a tremendous drop in live bones per liter. And you know, then you can go back and find the problem and correct it feeding-wise. But then again, you have four four months before you you increase number of live bones. Using the lean meters as a routine here uh, allows us to uh, be ahead of the problem uh, before we. Uh, we see a, a damage on, on the production results. Sure, sure. Well, we, I'm afraid we've got to end it there because of time, Dr. Hahn. I wish we could continue, but thank you very much for your advice on uh, the guilt interaction and uh, uh, what we can do both from a health and a, a physical point of view. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Christian Hahn of Porcus Swine Veterinary Practice in Denmark about the methods of introducing gilts the quarantine and bringing them up to breeding and then after that into the herd itself uh, but for the moment we have to say thank you dr hahn thank you to all of you for watching and listening for the moment thank you goodbye
We want to remind you that more information on this conversation, like articles, publications and videos, can be found on the website pers.com.